invite you to turn to the book of Colossians, the third chapter, Colossians chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11, our text, verses 5 through 11 this morning. Before we read that, though, uh, just a little story, a little background here. Um, for some of you in different contexts, I have told this story. I'll withhold names, particularly because of video today. But uh, many of you know my, my dad was an electrician and uh, owned his own electrical company. And uh, one of the things we did was we also did service calls. So we'd go to people would call and they're having an electrical problem and uh, we would go to their home and, and do the service call. Uh, on one particular day, uh, my dad and I did a service call. I was probably... I guess it's probably 13, 14, might even been a little bit older, might have been uh, uh, in high school already. Uh, those sorts of things flee from my mind at times. Um, but the home to which we were called uh, was filled with cats and dogs. It's one of those places you read about today, okay? It's one of those disgusting places. Uh, cats, Dogs, bugs, seen evidence, not just I think there are, saw them, evidenced them. The floor was slick. It was slick because of the piles of excrement that were left untaken care of and the very pungent smell of cat urine pervaded the home. The problem was, uh, that was first floor. That was the highlight. We had to go into the basement. The basement was not only worse as far as the smell, as far as the conditions, but it was downright creepy. It was those ones with those open rafters yet not finished, and so there were cats hung out in all sorts of localities, and who knows what else was staring at me down there. Um, the problem was, in this particular home, there was a receptacle on their front porch that had shorted out. So once we had traced it out, uh, uh, what was going on, Dad had sent me throughout the home testing electrical outlets to try to find uh, the one. Uh, it was on the front porch. So you just walk into the front porch, start looking for electrical things. However, the missus was in the front porch on a hospital bed. Um, cats all around her near death, a very creepy feeling at that particular time. We got done with the job and uh, finished up what needed to be done as quickly, as hurriedly as we possibly could. When we got home, my dad said to me something he had never told me before. Robert, we're going to go into the garage and we're going to take off all our clothes. We're going to put them in a garbage bag and we're going to immediately put them in a trash, in the trash. We'll take turns. One of us will go first. After we have done that, 
We'll go to, into the house. We'll take a shower and clean up. Don't enter the house. Don't enter the house with your clothes on. So that's what we did. I distinctly remember the fact that one garbage bag was not sufficient to keep the smell out. It needed to be double garbaged. And even then, for weeks afterwards, you could still smell in the garbage can that pungent smell. Now, I tell you that story because I have a question for you. Let's suppose after all of that, and I go and take the shower, get all cleaned up, get all washed up, smelling nice. I were to go back into the garage and put those clothes back on. What would you think of that decision? What would you think of that action? You would probably think, well, maybe it would confirm to you, I always thought he was a little nuts. But you would say, why would you do something like that? Why would you put on, again, that which you had taken off because of how disgusting it was to you? Now, I tell you that story because, in reality, that is what the church at Colossae is facing. See, they are facing it not in terms of dirty, stinky clothes because of cat urine and dog excrement. They are facing it spiritually. They came to know the gospel. They believed in Jesus Christ. They were washed. They were cleaned. But now they're contemplating going back into the pagan lifestyle, the pagan way of living. There are those who are saying, oh, don't do that. What you need to do is to follow all these legalistic rules. What you need to do is you need to move your mind higher and start worshiping angels. There are others who are saying and offering to them, no, 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 don't do that. Just accept the, the ascetic lifestyle of the rejection of everything of this world. Into all those false ideas comes the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Now this is what, this is what you need to hear, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, 
which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to thee once again after reading thy precious and holy word. And we listen to this word and we can apply it to our lives. And we can hear this word as it applies to our world today. Not only back in the Colossians, but one life living for you. We pray we can do this and we can spread this word through our community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, you're a believer. You're a believer. This is then what you do. So first of all, this morning, we, we want to just very quickly review our standing in Christ, which we refer to as justification. The second thing is our growing in Christ which is, Paul, is what Paul is addressing here, our growing in Christ, which we theologically refer to as our sanctification. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, if you have the sermon outline on the back side, I believe it is, you, we have there the, the words from our Shorter Catechism defining what is justification, telling us and putting together the Bible's teaching. What, what is this thing that we call justification? What is our standing in Christ? What does it mean to be raised with Christ? Together, let's, let's read the answer. I'll, I'll read the question again and then together the answer. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now one of the texts that is used to, uh, of the multitude of texts regarding this comes to us from 2 Corinthians 5.21. It reads as follows. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful description of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So what is our standing in Christ? Well, our standing in Christ is this. We are washed. We are accepted. Notice that in the definition of justification. We, we are washed, pardoned all our sins, and accepts us. We are accepted how? As righteous. We are accepted as righteous. Completely absent of all sin. This is how God sees us in Christ. As God views you and I, he sees us as standing in Christ, justified, washed, 
cleansed of all of our sins, accepted by him as righteous. We could add, accepted by him as righteous because we are his children, adopted by him only because of Jesus Christ. And this, by grace, through God's work in Christ. So, go back to the earlier illustration, the story. Right? washed, cleansed, had this horrible smell permeating. But now we've been washed, we've been cleansed, freed from from all of that. That's our standing in Christ. But now Paul addresses secondly in this passage how it is That we're to live. Okay, we've been washed, we've been cleansed. Now what? Do I put on those old, stinky, smelly garments? You see, because of our sinful nature, because of the fact that that we still in this world are not glorified, We we still have an old man of sin that resides within us. That old man, for some reason, being Satan's purposes, even though we've been washed and cleansed, we tend to go in the direction of putting on the old clothes. that's, That's our natural movement. That sinful man within us says, Bob, go put on those dirty, stinky clothes. Paul is coming and saying, no, no. Now that you've been washed by Christ, now that you've been washed in Christ, that relationship is the relationship that needs to continue to grow. Or, as we refer to it, sanctification. Let's read that definition after I ask the question once again. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. Once again, one of the many passages is from 2 Thessalonians 2.13. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So what is this sanctification? Well, first of all, let's underscore the fact that this too is by grace. This isn't our effort alone. This isn't just us. It is by grace that we grow in Christ. Through God's work by the Holy Spirit. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are enabled whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. It's the work of God's grace. This growing in Christ. 
And it involves, as we looked at last Lord's Day evening, a mental process. There there is, first of all, not just the actions associated, but there is a a mental, a mind thing. So what has Paul told us? Verse 1, chapter 3, seek the things that are above. Set your minds, verse 2, on things that are above, not on earthly things. So there is a mental, there is a mental understanding of saying, no, I do not want to live by my old sinful nature. I want to live for Christ. I want to live for his glory. I want to live according to his word. I want to live by his precepts. I want to live for those things that Christ values. There there is that mental ascent. That's the way Hendrickson describes the difference between these two sections. One is that that mind thing, that, that we become committed in our mind, this is what we want to do. But then Paul sets before us the practical. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek and to set? How how do I apply that in my everyday, daily life? How is it that daily I think of those things, those clothes that I had on, as revolting, as disgusting, and I don't want anything to do with them anymore? More than just a mental thing. More than just my mind. Paul says there is a practical side of this. And that's where we begin at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put it to death. In verse 8, he uses the idea of to lay aside. Or to put away. Remember the clothes? What did we do? Did we leave the clothes sitting out where it became an opportunity? Where we left them in such a way where where it's sort of like I'm washed, but there's them clothes. I kind of like that pair of jeans. I want that pair of jeans. I think I'll put on that pair of dirty, stinky jeans. No, what we did with those clothes is we put them in a garbage bag, double wrapped them in the garbage bag, put them in the garbage can. Put away. See, don't leave them in the vicinity. Don't leave them in the area. Don't leave them in a place that may make you tempted to go along that route. We are commanded to put to death, to get rid of. When we have young people or shouldn't just say young people, when we have individuals answer those profession of faith questions, one of the questions deals with, do you mortify? Do you you desire to mortify? Mortify, put to death. A mortician is one who works with those who are dead. Do you desire to mortify, put to death? You, you. It's not, oh God, come into my life and please mortify the sins. Now, yes, we should pray that, but we just don't leave it there. Paul isn't saying, hey, Colossians, you know what? You ought ought to be praying a little bit more about 
mortifying your sin. No, it's a command. Put it to death. Lay it aside. Put it away. What are we to put away? Verse 5. To put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And what does Paul mean by earthly? It means that which belongs to Adam. Adam is of the dust of the earth. The earthly. That sinful nature that arose and is within Adam because of the fall. Keep your finger here. Go back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul refers to it here for verse 22. See, you have the same phrase, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. So we have the same idea of being flowed here. But, but notice what he is saying. What is that earthly? The earthly described here is your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Notice Paul says, verse 6, in regards to God's wrath, then in 7, you used to walk in them when you were living in them. What? As a pagan, as an unbeliever, those things that controlled and monopolized you, those things that were in charge of your passions, those things that were in charge of your decisions, those earthly things, that is what you need to put to death. Not yourself. Not yourself. That's not the means of escape. That's not the means we deal with this. Oh, I'm such a horrible, rotten person, I'll just end my life. That is not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying you end your life. You end that part. You end that sin. You end that sinful nature that is a part, that is part of your former way of life before you knew Christ. Now, what is it that we're to put off? Go back to Colossians. What, how, how does Paul describe it? Well, he gives us a list, doesn't he? Now, once again, don't think the list is exclusive. Don't think, oh, that's all there is to the list. No, because we could go to other passages. We could go to Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 22. You have a list there as well. It seems that, that Paul frequently provides these lists. But the list is an intentional list for the audience to whom he is writing. To the Galatians, certain things are included because they were things that the Galatians struggled with. Here, Paul provides a list because there are things that the Colossians struggled with. Now, you may read this list and go, well, that's not me. I guess I don't have anything. Oh, no. Uh, just search out the scriptures. Read through the book of Proverbs. You'll find, you'll find that earthly part of you that needs to be put away, that needs to be mortified, that needs to be put to death. What's on the list? Sexual immorality. 
impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now notice Paul highlights those and then goes on to say, as I referenced before, those are the things you used to walk in. See, they were pagans. And as pagans, they're caught up in all sorts of sexual type sins. They're caught up in all sorts of drunkenness and orgies and all that sort of stuff. That's the pagan lifestyle. And I put it to death. Don't put that back on. You're washed. You're cleansed. Don't put those things back on. Colossians, don't go that way. And the solution, the solution is not what has been proposed to you by the false teachers. But the list goes on, doesn't it? We go down to verse 8. And maybe this is more the generic. The, the first list commentators think might be more specific to Colossa. But this is a little more general. There's lists here that, and things mentioned here that probably all of us can find in our own hearts. But now you must put them all away. What? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, do not lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old self with the practices. Yeah, no anger. No wrath. Think about that in the last three months, folks. What are we supposed to put off? What's not to be part of our life? What are we to see as a pungent, cat urine-soaked garment? Sexual immorality? Yes, most definitely. Impurity? Yes. Passion? Yes. Evil desire? Yes. Covetousness? Yes. But also anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying to one another. Those are the things that are to be put off. This cat-soaked, urine-permeated, smelly clothes. Put them off. We had to throw away our shoes that day. You throw away our socks. Yes, because you're thinking it. We had to throw away our underwear. It had so permeated. But you see, that's what sin is. It so permeates. Put it off. Put that off. But then, notice where Paul goes. Verse 10. And having put on the new self. This new self, new, as it were, clothes. Not the old clothes. Those you put off, trashed them, bagged them, and you're, you're, you're never going back there. You set your mind on it. I am never putting those clothes on. You have taken the actions that are needed and necessary that says I'm not going there. Now, the problem oftentimes we have with that old nature is that we hang too close to those sins. 
We, we hang really close. So they're always within eye view. Or in our case, they're always within smell view. Right? See, we never really put it to death. We never really put those sins in the garbage. We never really bag them up. I am done with you, sexual immorality. I am done with you, anger. I am done with you, lying. No more. The trash man cometh and taketh it away. They're gone. We tend to keep them around. We tend to keep putting ourselves in situations where those things might occur. But Paul's solution, unlike what the false teachers have been telling them as the way to deal with this, you, you develop a long list of rules. That'll keep you from sin. Well, you start worshiping angels. That'll keep you from those sins. Or you just reject this whole world. That'll keep you from those sins. Rather than those false deliveries, here comes the truth. Colossians, you've put on a new self. You've put on a new self. Christ. See, that's where we go to the end. But Christ is all. And in all, you've put on the new self. What is the new self? The new self is Christ. The new self is the righteousness of Christ. The new self is the righteous robes of Christ. That's the new clothing that Christ supplies. A whole new nature. A whole new person. Isn't that what Paul tells us in, in Corinthians? But you are a new creature in Christ. The old is gone. The old self is not your identity anymore. Oh, you still struggle with it. You still deal with it. But your identity is Christ. Put him on. Wear him. Live him. Dwell upon him. Seek Him. Set your mind. Draw from the beautiful wealth of Christ. Draw from the treasures of His wisdom. Draw from His character. Right? Christ is all. Christ lives in us. Paul has made that point in Colossians. Does Christ have any one of those sins? No. What does Christ have? Well, we could start at 12. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving. Those are, that's what we are to be living. Lord willing, we'll come to that in a couple of weeks again. But for now, it's, it's the new self that is constantly constantly growing. There is a continual progression going on. 
which is being renewed constantly, ongoing, ongoing. Yep, that was smelly. That was disgusting. I'm getting rid of that. And I'm putting on Christ. Constantly looking to Christ. For me to live is Christ. Paul reminds us. That's the practical side of it. You bag up sin and you wear the beauty of Christ. You get up in the morning saying, today, again, I'm clothed in Christ. Because of God's grace. Because of God's blessing. This increasing knowledge that I am an image bearer of God. Actually, to use Paul's language, it would be, I am an image bearer of Christ. But now Paul does an interesting little thing. At least, I think it's interesting. So we go there, being renewed in the image... But then all of a sudden we get thrown in this verse. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. And I say to myself, why why there? Now this is not unlike Paul. He does the same thing in the book of Galatians. Find it, I believe, in chapter 3, 27 or 28. But why does he put this in? You've been remade in the image of Christ. Grow in that image. You're clothed in the righteous robes of Christ. You are a new self. You are a new creature. And in that place, as this new creature in Christ, guess what? There's a whole bunch of folks with you. You're not the only one. There are no Greeks and Jews, no circumcised and uncircumcised, no barbarian or Scythian. I often wonder, what, what, is, what is that Scythian in there for? Because everything else is a comparison, right? Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian. Is a Scythian somebody who's really cultured? Somebody who's really refined? A barbarian is somebody who just uses their hand and digs in the food and, oh no, the Scythian cuts their meat precisely into little squares and uses their fork precisely. I was a little surprised to find out what a Scythian is. You know what a Scythian is? A Scythian is a barbarian's barbarian. So think of somebody who's a barbarian. A Scythian is somebody who to a barbarian is a barbarian. So it's not the difference between somebody who's cultured and uncultured. It's a comparison of those who are just barbaric as compared to those who are barbaric, barbaric. Slave or free. 
And I hear that verse and I think, Lord, you indeed are the God of all providences, aren't you? Right? Look at the text that he places before us on this Lord's Day. When we have a nation in chaos. When we are so divided. And yet God places before us. You want to see the picture? You want to see the picture of true unity? It's in my people. It's in my people. It's in those who have been washed in the blood of Christ. Those who have put on the righteous robes of Christ. Here there are no more divisions. Here there is no black or white. Here there is no confederacy or union. Here there is only those who Christ fills sufficiently in each and every one. My friends, this is the voice of Christ in the midst of our culture of today. And sadly, the church either joins in one of the two ranks that are out there in the culture wars of today or it remains silent. Its voice needs to ring clearly. If you want to find a place of unity, that unity is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And you know what? We'll show you. Come to our church. Come to our church. You won't find that kind of talk. You won't find those kind of distinctions. Here you will find those who speak of Christ. And of our unity. As brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God's grace has come into each one of our hearts and in each one of our lives. It took just as much grace for God to save me as it does every one of you. And it took just as much of Christ to redeem me as it did to redeem you. And we are all here today as those who have been raised with Christ, justified in Christ, robed in the righteousness of Christ. Christ is all. Ah, oh, yes, He is all my hope. Man, yeah, Christ has done so much for me. But he is also in all. In all. There is no more distinction. Those who are clothed in Christ's righteousness. 
What a beautiful message. For you see, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is the picture. That's the snapshot. Go home with that picture today. The picture of the church. Of Christ's bride. Of his people. A picture that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 7. Where we read these words. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Clothed in white robes. The righteousness of Christ with palm branches in their hands and crying out together, unitedly, in one voice, in one language, in one tongue. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. But Paul is not finished, is he? This is where we start. Now, put on that which is righteousness. And God's people say, Father, we thank you again for your word and for its reminder to us, not only of that which you have done for us in Christ, but that which you are doing for us through the work of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that we might ever live seeking, seeking, not those dirty, stinky, filthy garments of our sinful nature, but that we might ever live in the righteous robes of Christ, in His name, for His glory. God's people say, Amen.